Well, it seems that God has a 2020 vision for his church, which is much more challenging and yet potentially more productive than anything we could have ever dreamed or imagined. COVID-19 is providing our church with an excellent opportunity to learn what it is to be God's church in this novel environment. The physical restrictions associated with the coronavirus pandemic continue, continue to both tighten and lengthen. But as hard as it is for us as a church at this time, this isolation from one another gives us the opportunity to pause and reflect on what is really important. Remembering that the fundamentals of our ministry to one another haven't changed because God still exists and Jesus is still on his throne. I mean, we still need to continue to engage together with God's word. The more we know God according to scripture, the better we'll be able to respond to people in ways that are truly informed and wise and loving because we'll be informed by our one, our one true wise and loving God. We still need to be growing in our Christ-like character. At this time, as we experience unusual and unexpected hardships caused by working from home, schooling from home, unemployment and sickness, or at least the fear of becoming unemployed or sick, we'll be demonstrating our existing, our existing character. And so this is an opportunity to grow in our Christ-like character, learning to be more patient, more kind, more loving, What's more, we still need to be encouraging one another in our Christian life, in our family relationships and in our work lives. And all the more in these times of increase in unexpected stress. We may not be able to visit each other, but we can still connect with each other over the phone and online to encourage each other to keep trusting in God during this time. And finally, in all of this, we still need to be reaching out to people with the life-saving message of the gospel of Jesus. This pandemic is going to give us heaps of opportunities to talk as to why our Christian faith gives us, uh, gives us confidence rather than fear in the, face of, uh, in the face of what we are facing. What's more, it gives us opportunities to care for the vulnerable and with sacrificial generosity and reach out to those who are friendless and isolated. Now, all these things aren't new, are they? They simply capture how a Bible-based gospel ministry should happen all the time. But the challenge for us is how do we do them in this time of isolation from one another? So let's now turn to God's word and let him speak into this situation. But before we do, let me pray that God will be, help us to be ready to hear what he has to say. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time together and pray that uh, you would speak to us from your word. Take away the distractions that we're not used to around us at this time so that we can hear you speak to us. Please use these words of mine to be your words to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this section of Hebrews 10, which was just read for us, is one of my favourite parts of the Bible, as it so clearly spells out to us what it means to be the church of God. But before it gets to that, the writer reminds us of the great confidence that we can have now in coming to God's very presence. But why can we be so confident? For let's face it, there are many times that we might be full of confidence, but what, are we what, we, but what we are confident in is misplaced and lets us down. Let me illustrate what I mean. My first bike when I was eight years old was a Melvin Star Dragster. 
And with my friends, we had built ourselves a bit of a track uh, in the bush opposite my house in Heathcote with a few small jumps that we'd just easily glide over. But one day, my friend Kurt came to the track with his new BMX and he set up a jump over a little creek bed that was off to the side of the track. Now, when I say a little creek bed, well, it was actually a fairly big jump compared to the others that we had been doing. But I watched Kurt jump it with ease and I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And so, filled with confidence in my own ability and the ability of my very heavy bike, I set off towards the jump. And well, suffice to say, I failed spectacularly. I didn't even make it to the other side, but went headfirst over the handlebars and into the creek. Battered and bruised, my ego that is, not necessarily how my body was feeling, I picked up my twisted bike and did the walk of shame back home. Now Kurt, he had the right bike and he had all the skill that was needed. And so it was very easy to be confident that he'd make the jump. I didn't have the right bike or probably even the skill and so my confidence was misplaced. You see, as Christians, we have every reason to be confident, but it's in what we place our confidence in that matters. In our passage today in Hebrews chapter 10, we're told that we can have confidence to enter into the very presence of God. But how can sinners like us have confidence to enter into the presence of the living God? Well, we're told that it's because of all that Jesus has done for us. Verse 19 to 21. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. These verses here in verses 19 to 21 at the beginning of our passage act as a transition they capture everything that the writer has been speaking about from chapter 4 through to chapter 10 before he heads into the implications of what he's speaking about in the verses that follow. And what we see in verse 19 is that we can have this sure and unquestionable confidence, not based on our own abilities, but based upon what Jesus has done. Indeed, because of Jesus, we can now have confidence to enter into the very presence of God himself. Verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. I think it's hard for us today to appreciate this amazing privilege we have. If you grew up as a Jew back in the time that Hebrews was written, you would have been growing up knowing that God was awesome and holy, a consuming fire. The temple which just stood in the middle of the city where you would go to showed that it was almost impossible to get into God's presence. There are a whole lot of different sections and behind the curtain was the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies. The thought that you could somehow come into his presence and survive was unthinkable. Indeed, for many years, they used to tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest so that on the day, the one day that he would enter into the most holy place behind the curtain, they would drag him out if God had not accepted his sacrifices and washings. But now in Jesus, all that's changed. Jesus is now our perfect high priest. And through his once for all sacrifice of himself on the cross, he makes a way for us to come into the very presence of God because his sacrifice has washed us clean, 
not only of our many sins, but also of the guilty conscience that we have before God. And you see, friends, this is all the theological underpinning of the implications that the writer of Hebrews now goes to turn to in verses 22 to 25. Because Jesus is all we need to come into God's presence, because he's our high priest and his once for all sacrifice was the perfect sacrifice for our sin, then here's what we need to do. Here's the action we need to take. And they all start with a lettuce. Let us draw near to God, verse 22. Let us not give up on the hope that we have, verse 23. Let us encourage one another to make it to the end, verse 24 and 25. Yeah, I know, pretty corny, but hey, it's memorable. And the truth is that we actually need to remember these very things, particularly in this COVID-19 era, because they will help us in our relationship with Jesus to keep growing in him and not fall away from trusting him during this difficult time. So stay with me through these three lettuces. And so what's the first one? Lettuce number one, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Because we can now have confidence to enter into the most holy place, because of all that Jesus has done, well, let's do it. Sounds obvious, doesn't it? But do we do it? Do we draw to, near to God in prayer each day? Do we draw into his presence to hear him speak to us as we open up his Bible, as he speaks to us through his word? Do we make a priority of spending time with God into his very presence? If not, why not? Is it possibly because we feel guilty before him, that we feel our sin makes us unacceptable and it stops us feeling confident that we can come before him? I know that's how I often feel. But look at these amazing words here in verse 22. We may feel unclean, but in Jesus, our bodies have been washed clean and our guilty consciences have been cleansed. We don't draw near to God trusting in our own righteousness before him, but because Jesus has imputed his righteousness on us, he has made us righteous. And because of this, we are encouraged here to draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that our faith brings. We may feel guilty, but we can trust Jesus has cleansed us from this guilt. We may be ashamed of our sin, but we need to remind ourselves that Jesus has died for that sin and we stand forgiven before him. So rather than letting our feelings of shame stop us from drawing near to God in prayer and um, in, at this time, we need to remind ourselves of all that Jesus has done for us and spend each day during this crisis and afterwards drawing near to God with confidence. Well, the second lettuce is in verse 23, and it calls upon us to hold on to our faith, no matter what comes before us, because our hope uh, for the future is certain. And I believe that that verse will speak right into our very, uh, into our very situation right now. Reading from verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God is the promise maker and God is the promise keeper. 
He made many promises to his people in the Old Testament, and he proved himself to be faithful, always keeping his promises. And of course, he makes promises to us today. The promise that we are forgiven if we trust in Jesus. That life forever awaits us because Jesus rose from the dead. That nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That this time of anxiety and sickness and isolation that we're experiencing now in this life is only for this life. And all will be done away with in the life to come. All these things we hope for because God promises that this is what will come to those who put their trust in him. And the writer here calls on his hearers and us to hold on to this hope, for it will surely come to pass. But friends, it's one thing to agree in our heads that Jesus and God are trustworthy. It's a whole other thing to put our trust in them. At this time of heightened risk of getting sick, the heightened risk of losing our job or our house or our savings or our super. Who will you turn to in these times? Will you hold on to all that you've been promised, knowing that you will suffer loss and difficulty in this life perhaps, but that God has a better future for you? Or will you shrink back from holding on to this sure and certain hope? I know it's impossible to say and we can be full of bravado now, even though we face an unknown future. But it is now, while we're not suffering too much, that we have this chance to ensure that our hope and our faith are sure. So we've been encouraged to draw near to God and we've been encouraged to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And now comes our final lettuce which helps us answer our question of what it means to be the church in this COVID-19 era. And that is, let us keep encouraging one another to make it to the end. Verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meaning together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, God knows that hanging in there as a Christian, especially through the dark and difficult times, can be a challenge. And so he's given us each other, fellow believers, to encourage one another to keep going to the end. For the truth is that it's very difficult for a Christian to keep growing and to maintain their faith and hope uh, in the future on their own. Indeed, part of being a Christian is that we have been saved into God's very family. And so we have responsibility to look out for and care for the other members of his family, our family, just like we do our own families. Well, that's all very well and good, Stefan, but we're stuck in our homes, isolated, unable to meet with each other as this passage calls upon us to do. So how does that work now? And can I say if this feels wrong, it should. It is true that in this time of isolation, we can't fully express the reality of being God's church and it should make us long for the end of this isolation and the chance to be back again together, serving one another, encouraging one another with the gifts God's given us to build each other up. That's what the church is partly for. But however, for a short time and with the blessing of technology that we have access to, we can still express our spiritual reality that we are together God's church and there are all sorts of opportunities to encourage each other to love and good deeds 
even in this time of isolation. But while we wait for that time of isolation to be over. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but you being online today and writing your messages, even though you're at home and can't physically be together, we can't be physically together at this time, is a great encouragement to us as a church. We may not be able to stand side by side and sing God's praises together, but we're still sitting together under God's word. And it reminds us what we know to be real and true. But when you choose to be absent, when you choose to kind of give church a miss for a time, it can leave us a little weaker. It can leave many of us discouraged and concerned. It's not that we have to meet together to be Christian. It's just that it's the most important thing to do because we are God's church, his gathering, his family. It's what God is putting together in this world as we wait for the world to come. But there are legitimate reasons as to why we may not be able to meet together. Like this time of isolation, of course, stops us from physically gathering. And one of the exciting realities that come from this is that we're now able to gather with those who can't physically meet with us because perhaps they've got too old and frail or sick or struggle to cope in larger groups of people. I want to finish this talk by sharing with you an interview that I recorded uh, yesterday with one of the members of our church family, Joe Consalvo, who understands what we're going through better than anyone that I know and who has drawn great strength in her trials by the very things spoken about in this passage. Take a look at the video. Hi, Joe. Hi, Stefan. Nice to see you. Yeah, it's lovely to see you too, my friend. Now, many in our church family have been praying for your beautiful daughter, Jess. Tell us Thank what you. happened um, uh, one year ago. Um, Jess was diagnosed with leukemia um, a year ago after been going to the GP for numerous other complaints from ankle pain to swollen lymph glands to pain in her collarbone. Um, she went through a whole week of tests at the hospital, being misdiagnosed with childhood arthritis. And it wasn't until the Friday the 29th of March that she was taken through as general anaesthetic to have a biopsy of her collarbone that they actually told us that she had cancer. Um, and it wasn't until the following week that we actually knew um, that it was leukemia. So, um, and she presented with 90.3% leukemia cells. So basically it was in every bone of her body except from vertebrae three in her spine up to her brain. That must've been so scary, um, Joe. It must've been um, a very difficult time to go through. How's she coped with all the treatment since? Uh, Jess has been really well. The resilience of the kids in the, in the um, cancer ward is just amazing. Um, just copes really well. She's got a central line that was put in when she got originally diagnosed. So that's a line that they administer all the chemo through and actually sits above her heart. So that goes through full treatment, blood tests, anaesthetics, everything's done through those two central lines. So there's no pain in terms of treatment wise, but yes, as a side effect from the chemo, she does have um, bone pain, um, nausea, etc. So it's all part of treatment unfortunately but overall um she's she's fine yeah Spattled through it sometimes i mean you've said to me sometimes it might be um harder to be the carer than um going definitely yeah 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 because yeah. as a as a mother as like you know you're sometimes left there 
lying there helpless and hopeless because you've given all their care to your child, to yeah. the medical team. And that's when you turn to your faith and you have to pray because that's all the hope you've got. Yeah. When, you're, when you've handed your child to someone else to look after in a, in a situation like this, that you just have to um, turn to, turn to your faith. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it must have been a roller coaster for your faith. There must have been ups and downs through that time. Um, what sustained you through all of this? Um, the chaplaincy support through the hospital here has been fantastic. Um, Rochelle is our um, our chaplain, as well yeah. as Robert, when she's not here. But every time we're in clinic, she'll pop in and say hello. Whenever mm -hmm. we're in the ward, um, she'll spend hours with Jess and I. Um, anytime Jess has got concerns, um, she's given Jess a little prayer book, a psalm book, and specifically for children. Um, and whenever there's concerns that Jess has, she'll have a prayer session with, with Michelle and I. Um, and we'll have arrow prayers, is what we call them, where we still like shoot our troubles with the arrow. Um, yeah, to go. Yeah. And um, that's that's how Jess has gone through it and that's how I've gone through it as well. And there's also been times where um, Jess won't eat hospital food, so I'll have to go out and there's a bridge that overwalks um, up to McDonald's and KFC, etc. Um, and that's where I'll stop on the bridge and watch the river and watch the birds. Mm. That's my time of re um, reflection and prayer that I yeah. take. Yeah. Good on you. Now, two weeks ago, you got to join us at church for the first time in almost Yay. a year. And it was pretty emotional for you. It's a pretty um, big thing for you to go through. Tell us about that experience. It was. It was so lovely to be actually feeling part of the church family again. It was, mm. um, as everyone in today's society is going through isolation, we've been doing this for the last 12 months, yeah. um, limiting um, birthday parties, limiting shopping centres, movies, um, holidays, everything had to stop to protect Jess with her low immune system. So, and unfortunately church was one of them because that's where crowds are and we just don't know what people are um, sick with. So that was one place we were told that we were um, limited to go to. So being part of the online church was just fantastic. Being able to pray as a church family mm. was really uplifting. Yeah, that's been really awesome, Joe. And it's, I, I, I personally was very, very encouraged when you were online with us. Um, <laughs> All the way from the Children's Hospital at Wesley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just trying to do that um, together, knowing Jess was there too and able to um, connect in and connect in on the kids' stuff as well. It was just wonderful. And it has actually helped us to see that what we are now, online church, needs to be something that we continue to do. Um, That'll be great. Yeah. get to church. And That's so right. hopefully we can do this kind of thing into the future as well, even when some of us can get back together, which we look forward to you guys coming back together with us. That's um, it. If there, if there has to be one positive out of all this, it, it would have to be having church online. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, um, Joe. It's been um, lovely to catch up with you. Um, Jessie's um, is having a little bit of a struggle at the moment, so we'll be praying for her and praying for you all, for David and for you and for the kids at this Thanks, time. Jeff. Thanks. Thank you, church family, for all your support and all your gifts and prayers over this time. It's been very well appreciated. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. She's an inspiration, isn't she? So friends, before, because of all that Jesus has done for us, 
which we are going to celebrate in a moment by sharing together the Lord's Supper. Let us commit in this time of isolation to draw near to God in prayer and time with him in his word. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, looking this, uh, look, knowing that this time of sickness and distress is not our future. And let us keep meeting together, which for now might mean here on online church, in our growth group Zoom gatherings, on the phone or on social media, until the day that we can all get together physically again. And let's keep encouraging one another to hang in there until Jesus returns to take us home. Amen.